Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. So this was the most graphic sex scene of the show so far. Before we get to the graphicness of the the Ruby George Christina sex scene, ha- Hillary sex scene, uh, we need to back up. And we need to back all the way up to episode three of Lovecraft Country. Before we back up all the way to episode three of Lovecraft Country, this is Apocalypse Now, and I am Timothy Harvey. I'm Dustin. And I'm Curtis. So take us back to episode three, Dustin. Why are we backing far all the way back there? Because D was during the party uh, with, that Letty had to celebrate the opening of her new boarding house. D and her friends were up in the attic with the Ouija board, mm-hmm. and one of her friends, a little boy, asked, "Am I going to enjoy my trip?" And the Ouija board said no. And we realized this episode. Well, I had realized it at that episode at that time. We didn't talk about it then. Um, that this boy is actually Emmett Till, and there he's really good friends with D. And if you go back and look at that, D is in Emmett is in almost every single episode, but they never say his name until tonight when we realize that this friend that she's been with this whole time is uh, Emmett Till, who who was lynched to death. In Mississippi, yeah, and uh, and they refer to him as Bobo, uh, which is what it, which was his nickname, which is where we actually get the title of this episode, Jigabobo, or one of the origins of this particular title. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, there's the jig has a little more relevance as well, but right, and it's also a play on words for kind of a, uh, a I would say probably a th- a third tier old racial slur Mm -hmm. so it's got a lot of levels the title to this one right Uh, i worked at a uh in a manufacturing plant and we weren't allowed to use certain words we would have to replace that word which is synonymous with making a fixture with the word fixture and i thought that was good that they did that because most of the people that worked in that in that uh arena of the company were terrible racists and they needed to be controlled that way. So we are at Bobo's funeral. It's Chicago is hot and it's sweltering summertime and racial tensions are, are through the roof and uh, Emmett Till's body lays in state. And as people see it, sometimes they have to come out and vomit into a well-placed bucket because you got a of, guy with a bucket right there. Yep. That's a well-organized public funerary situation. Well, if you'll remember Emmett Till, uh, his mother was extremely brave and refused to let the morticians do any work on his face or have a closed casket. So that the people could see what happens to her child. Yes. And to jump ahead just a little bit, if you don't know what was done to him, 
you get a version of it done to another character. There's a symbolic death, a symbolic murder that occurs at the end. Well, it's more than symbolic, but it's about symbolism and power, which is designed to echo what was done to Emmett Till. And it's brutal and horrifying. And the, the, the thought of, you know, consider this was done to a child. He's a teenager. And this is just, I mean, it's a brutal, horrific murder. And it made an impact. We do find out what happens to him later on, but it's a bit of a journey until then. Until's story is just kind of a backdrop Mm -hmm. to what we have going on with our other characters. Dee is, is not having a super great day because she knows something's gone wrong with her mom, aside from her best friend dying in a horrible way. Uh, she knows something has happened to her mother and no one will talk to her about it. This is, and, these are people who are not good at sharing relevant information with people who really, really should know about it. Right. But it's hard because magic. Yeah. Right. Well, I felt so bad for her, like this whole episode, because she keeps running into our main cast and they're just like, no. God, D, will you just go away? <laughs> like, and she's trying to be like, there is something after me. And they're like, yeah, okay. There's something after everybody, D. It's worse than that because they don't do a good job. And again, I'm jumping your head a little bit. But they don't do, have an opinion, D. Yeah. They don't do a good job here of expressing what has actually happened to her. If you pay attention, she can't actually tell anybody what's going on. She yeah. can't actually say what's happening to her. And in the, in the, this again, different, uh, it's an emphasis in, in the book where that's the curse. That's part of the curse is that, you know, she can't actually speak about what's being done to her. And she gets around it by writing in the book. That's a separate thing. There's, there's, it's a, it plays out differently with some similar points in the book. But yeah, they've all got their own things going on. Right. We'll just run through what happens with D because even though I feel like she's probably a plot. Uh, as we think it's the easiest one to, to get mm-hmm. through. Let me jump um, in because this was one of the only parts I really understood. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So uh, we open with Dee and the family at the funeral, and uh, an opportunity arises for Dee to kind of get separated from the, the crowd, and she does, and she gets out of there, and she comes across as she's wandering around the city alone, which she was warned not to do. Or she right. should know not to do that. Not on a day when there's so much going on that's just unhealthy in the in the world, you know. And so she uh, sees some kids laughing, and it just pisses her off. And she just lets them have it and tells them there's no reason to laugh. There's nothing nothing funny today, you know. And I thought that was beautiful, uh, beautiful way to stick us right in her headspace. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And then. We are continue to be in her headspace with all of this anger and confusion and sadness and all of this. And then these cops show up right in the middle of all this that she's going through. Mm-hmm. And then so there's another level. And so they keep stacking levels and levels on top of this girl. And she doesn't break is the thing. Later on, she has a hero moment. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but. The cops are, I don't know if they're cops. They were, I guess they were police officers investigating the death of their partner in that. Um, um, so uh, one of them is Sanctarium or whatever. 
So one of them is Captain Lancaster. He's the bad guy that we've seen before. He's the one who had the argument with Christina. Yes. And he's the one who actually puts the curse on her. Right. So he puts a curse on her. They harass the hell out of her. That's her about her comic that she made. Yeah. And they want to know where her mom is, but, you know, she doesn't know. And so they put a curse on her that, that by just gobbing on her forehead, scratching on the sidewalk with some Scott, with some chalk, and then doing a little incantation, which is really fun scene. It really was. I mean, it was this, this movie had a lot of horror elements that I really, or mm-hmm. this, this episode, there was a lot of horror elements in this episode. I enjoyed it a lot. But anyway, they put a curse on her by spitting on her and doing this whole ritual thing, even with like Latin or something, which is maybe that was Sumerian. I don't know. But anyway, and now she's got two dancing goblins chasing after her all the time. And uh, she she can't do nothing about it now. Because she can't tell anybody it's happening. It's Yeah, and because no one will listen, you know. And when she has somebody stop and pay attention to what she's saying... And she tries to get the words out, they won't come out because that's yep. part of the curse. Part of the curse. And she's the only one who can see them. And these these characters are uh, Topsy and Bopsy. And Topsy is the character that is on the cover of her copy of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And both of these characters are basically quote-unquote good slaves. You know, they're basically mm-hmm. there to be be, be a good little black girl slave. This is what you're supposed to be like. Right. Dumb dumb and compliant. And Right. Others... And, and it's, this is one of those situations where when you start talking about Uncle Tom's cabin, you get that is also has layers because at mm-hmm. the time she really, really wanted to express her horror with slavery. Mm-hmm. And she really, really wanted to to show that she believed everyone needed to be free. Unfortunately, as time has gone by, uh, it turns out that her uh, the way that she wrote about the black characters in her book uh, did not age just at all well to the point where, in a modern context, almost reads as a defense of slavery complicated story but anyway that's the origin of these characters these little nightmare fuel uh demon girls just to dancing down the street and that's where we get the second half of our uh title to the episode uh jigabobo is you know part talking about emmett till and his last and his uh little nickname and then there's also oh gosh do we really i mean I'm feeling very uncomfortable. I don't want to be the one to say it. No, just... it's, it's no, it's fair enough. I mean, we don't Should we don't have to go down that. Google it. If, it uh, if if you don't know what word he's hunting for, congratulations. Yeah. You don't need to know that exactly. But yeah, there's there's this show is not shying away from using the terminology of racism in the context of the show and the vi- and, and the visual elements of it because mm-hmm. that specific image of a little black girl with nappy braids with a red bow at the end in like a cornflower sack with a big red smile is synonymous and you know it's appeared just 
in so many insane places that you wouldn't even think about now, like in in Looney Tunes cartoons back oh, in yeah. the 40s and 50s. It's, you know... it's There's so much casual racism baked into American culture that it's lovely to think that we're past it. And it's been lovely to think... You, know, you hear politicians every now and again say stupid things like post-racial America, which is not a thing. It's not, it, it has not been a thing. It's, it's a goal to strive towards. But there are many goals we should strive towards and some places, some we're never going to get to. Sorry, folks. It would be great to see that, but human nature is what it is. I'm not overly optimistic. But this show is not afraid to make you uncomfortable. And that, I think, is a worthwhile thing. Even when they don't quite, it doesn't always quite work. They at least do a really, really good job of making you look at things and making you listen to things. In the context of the story, you can't get you can't ignore it. It's there. Yeah. So and you can't get away. And it's and it's one of those situations where I don't think that this show has ever presented a fact about racism or a, or a fact of life as someone in the in the late fifties that couldn't be googled if you really wanted to go there and find out what do more deep dive into what's happening on the show. Right. The, fa- the, f- the fantastic part is the magic. That's every, everything else is rooted in reality. I mean, and it's, it's, it's a very disturbing reality. And that's part of the point of the show. Right. So anyway, D is running all basically all day trying to get away from these creatures. And she tries several different things and she goes, first she goes home and Montrose is there and he tries to be like, look, I, I get, cause he thinks like she's feeling the emotion of having lost a friend. Mm-hmm. And so he tries to connect with her on that level. But at the, you know, at the same time, that is not all that she's dealing with. And so she has to make an escape because the goblins are are starting to first arrive at this moment. And so the next thing that she runs into, the next person, is Letty. And Letty is 100% not here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Letty has other things on her mind. And I think this is one of those, this was a very frustrating moment for me. Because it's like you can see that like Letty is so distracted she can't even see D for real. And if she were if she were in even a second, like even a little bit more of a of a rational headspace, she would see what's happening in D's face. And it would have changed the whole it was one of those situations where it's like just the fact that Letty is not in a place where she can pay attention. We will get to why that is because she's got a lot on her plate right now. Mm-hmm. We'll come back. But to it that. was it was very hard. That moment was very heartbreaking for me because it was like, God, Letty, just you know, you're you're the badass of the season. Just notice what's happening. Like, just notice it, and she just couldn't. And so that kind of makes D decide she's going to take matters into her own hands. There's not an adult who can help her. So she is going to help herself. 
And so she goes to stake out the police station. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to find those sons of bitches and she's going to make them pay for what they did to her. Right. Well, she finds them. All right. Yeah. They don't tell her nothing. They just oh. say, they just say, we'll take it off, but you got to give us who did they want? They want the Ori. Yeah. Everybody wants the Ori. Oh, right. But she got in. She got in a great line because earlier one of the cops was mocking the name of her mother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she goes, it's Epilita, motherfucker. No, oh, yeah. asshole, asshole. Yeah. And it's a great moment because it's just, I mean, there is no fear. No, no. There's plenty of fear in this girl, but she's not letting it rule her. Right. Well, no, she's she's let the anger come. Yes. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to, to, uh, yeah, you know, the Yoda. Right. Now, in this case, it's more the Dune thing. Fear is the mind killer. I will not fear. Oh, I like that. But, uh, no, she's, she's, she's not letting the fear get in the way, and she's going to stand up to these, these bullies, knowing full well that she's in a world right now that they could kill her without a thought. But they, but they wouldn't. Those, those little, little dancing goblins they they wouldn't kill her just outright they right. they get nothing out of that they're there to have fun right and they're gonna have fun with her that's why they're chasing her everywhere and just taking their time if they were killing machines they would have already been turned on mm-hmm. but uh eventually they will and i think they will because they well they, she's gonna get hurt real bad and it's gonna be an adult's fault for not listening to her and then, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it starts at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Because because Dee decides if she can't help herself, you know, like, okay, she's the cops aren't going to help her. Ha ha, quote unquote, help her. Uh, her adults in her life are not going to help her. So she basically sets a trap for the goblins. She goes and locks all the doors to her uh, family's travel agency, except for one. And she, from memory, draws as many of pictures of what they look like as possible. And then she uh, she gets a big old to- like a big old metal hunk. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, like a sixty pound piece of pipe. Yeah, <laughs> and she's like, "All right, I guess I'm just gonna have to wait till they show up." And I'm going to have to take care of this myself. Unfortunately, Montrose is there uh, when this fight she starts having with these invisible creatures begins. And uh, and he comes in and sees her swinging on nothing and tries to, like, stop her, which, of course, allows the creatures to grab her. And that's where we end with her... Tonight with D tonight. Well, but you can see that she's they're doing something to her arm, and there's yeah. this like line of, of blackness that is creeping up her arm. So it's it's not good that they've caught her. She gets in a few good whacks, they mm-hmm. get right back up again, but she hits them. She scores yeah. a few few hits there. So so that's D's story, and it's kind of terrifying. And yeah. uh, there's a couple of neat articles online that you can find that talk about the choreography. Of of the, that the girls did and how where it, how it's inspired and it's a cool thing if you folks who are listening want to check that out I recommend you can just Google that sort of thing 
but it's some cool some interesting articles about that that's kind of fun so so that's pretty much her story right right okay good now to the grown-up stuff <laughs> well the uh, you know the other horrifying things yeah. uh, that happen ruby is really messed up yeah by what happens to Emmett, and, and so she goes back to uh george slash christina's house because she doesn't william william is it william george is dean's dad oh, william is. so she just doesn't want like there's a lot of things she says that she reasons why she goes back but i i think i i i tend to agree with christina's assessment she doesn't want to be alone and she doesn't want to continue to feel like a bad person for wanting the things she wants, even in the climate when she lives. Mm-hmm. So she goes, she goes back and William is there. He kind of tries to comfort. They, they, they share a bath and then uh, she takes the, the Hillary potion and they begin to, this is the sex scene. They begin to to make love, but then Ruby starts to come out, and it's just it's just as gross as it is every time. Except now there's a dude there. Yeah, that doesn't help. Oh well, this when uh, when she takes the potion, this was the first time I think it was the first time we get to see a little bit of the mechanics of her transformation. Oh yeah, that's true. Just a little bit. That's true. We've we see the we've seen the the skin coming off, but we haven't seen the beginning of it. On the other hand, we see the skin coming off here too, and it's yeah, it's it's you know, I mean, everybody's Every got their thing there. in sex. I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's it's a they lot. Get, they get so much mileage out of super slime in this. And by the way, the visual effects on that scene where the the white lady's skin is sloughing off and she's yeah. turning into incredible oh no ain't nothing wrong with that that was that was like award-winning work that was just amazing but it's nightmare fuel oh yeah it's bad yeah and it was done it was done so amazingly well you know but they also have a i mean this scene is terrifying enough and in in a really visual way but there's also a terrifying scene that they have before where Ruby asks if Christina even cares. It's after. Uh, oh, well, is it after? Yeah, it is after. Um, she, but she asks Christina if she even cares that Emmett Till is dead. And Christina says, you know, I know, I know you want me to say yes, but the answer is no. I don't care. And I don't care. That, and she rattles off a name of other black people who have been murdered. Well, we, it, had, just, we had just sat through three or four minutes of one of the most well-performed and incredible monologues that we've seen all season. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, now she's going to talk so we can yeah. relax. And then she comes back with that. I was just, this whole scene, I was like, it was so perfectly executed from every single performance angle. And it, yeah, man, because I wanted Ruby, to note that Ruby, her speech to Christina it's very much like I'm so tired of having to be tired all the time mm-hmm. of having to fight for everything. And just, I just wanted to, to just taste that privilege again for a second. 
And then Christina does the whole, you know, I didn't, I don't care about any of this. None of this matters to me. And, and in a way, I think when Christina is saying that it's like, almost like she always seems so alien to me, Mm -hmm. you know, because she was not, I don't, I don't feel like Christina was raised in a way that, you know, racism or, or, you know, any of that stuff really registered at all for her. If you just showed me a picture of her and said, describe her life, I would have said she is the daughter of a group of harpists. <laughs> she also plays harp in the band when she's home from school. Yeah. I don't know. I think that it's just, I think that the idea of gaining massive power uh, was just such a driving force for her father and for her that the mundanities of, oh, well, we have to keep these people from this or we have to, you know, never occurred to her. And well, and so it's also part of the way that she doesn't care if you're black or white, you're mm-hmm. all beneath her. Exactly. You know? See, here's the thing she's going for. She flat out said it this episode. I think we've speculated on it or that it was assumed that a different character wanted eternal life. Or invulnerable, what'd she call it? It wasn't, it was the immortality, immortality, right? She just flat out says that's what she wants. She wants the immortality. And we've spoken about this on a few occasions, and we've all come to the inclusion, the conclusion that that is stupid. Yeah. And for whatever reason, whatever reason, she, she's all on board, but that's just it. I mean, she, she, however, she actually feels about Ruby, whatever emotion she has, and it's really, we still don't know. There's still no clear definition of what she feels for Ruby, other than she's there and she fits well, into the plans it's, at this it's, time. It's such a strange, it's such a strange group of relational, you know, because there's almost four characters here. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I've never. I mean, I I think I maybe called it mentally that that William and Christina were the same person, and maybe like episode two, mm-hmm. but they don't seem to act very similar, and they don't. So it's almost like Christina and William's relationship with Ruby are two different relationships. There, there's might be something to that. I think that there's you kind of wonder when you wear that face, that, that role, that, that personality, how much of that filters your reactions? Cause you see some of that with Ruby to some degree mm-hmm. and how she acts because the difference between, you know, when she's, when she's wearing the white body and her, and her true self. Um, but it's, it, it's just really, Christina really is one of those people who can look at you and say, I don't see skin color because you're all born to serve me in the end. Which, of course, is its own horror. Now, off with you and clean my harp. (laughs) Clean my harp. (laughs) So that's not the end of Ruby's story. Right. Or Christina's. Or Christina's. But they, they diverge there because Ruby goes back to uh 
to Letty and they have a conversation where they basically like come out to each other about having the, I, the magic they're mm-hmm. knowing about magic yeah. and they're at opposing viewpoints on magic at this point because Letty is like, I do not want to really have anything to do with magic. If I could just get through this time and not have to deal with magic anymore, that would be super great. And Ruby's like, I'm going to learn me some magic and I'm going to get everything that I want out of life. (laughs) Because she, she tells Letty that, that one thing she learned when she was, wearing the white body is that she did not want to be white mm-hmm. she just wants to have her own space she wants to have her space where no one is telling her what she's supposed to be or treating her as with you know that like she's not worth anything she wants to make carve out or her own place in the world and with magic she thinks she can do that yep so so we discover her motivation there yeah well and it also plays back into the fact that so much of this so much of what magic is driving here is the desire for power of some kind. Not necessarily the kind of power that Christina wants, but we have the power to, to you know, create who you are. And we're seeing that with these characters, with the, every character who's dealing with magic on right. the good guy's side. It's all about creating a safe place for them to be, which is of course not what Christina or the, the cop are in. That's not their plans. They have other plans. Just about the time that Letty and, and Ruby are having this conversation, the police show up and they're like, we hear there are some black Panthers uh, organizing here. We want to search the premises. Nope. And hold on. Let's that, that's historically wrong. It's not Black Panthers. It's Nation of Islam. Oh, sorry. Uh, you're 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 a little a, a decade or, or so I'm, early. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry nope. about that history. Letty's like, come on in. You're not going to find nothing. And when the when the chief tries to go through, he can't. And then the look on all three of their faces <laughs> was was actually kind of really funny because. He realize he he can't go through, and then he sees the charm, and both Letty and Ruby see him not be able to go through, and then they see him see the charm, and they're like, they're all like, oh shit! <laughs> him realizing that they know the magic, yeah. and they, of course they are now they realize they have a new magically powered enemy in the police. Yeah. This is not good for anybody involved. Right. Um, but l- for those of you listening, let me just give you a quick little life hack, okay? If you if you want to protect your home with uh with a blood of some kind, whether it's uh goat's blood, you know, the blood of Baphomet or uh whatever sheep, mutton, another age of sheep, I don't know, lambs, um, any kind of blood, if you want it to preserve well and be uh, uh, spreadable, uh, like for painting incantations over doors and things like that, just add a little vinegar. A little there vinegar. You go. Keep it nice and nice and wet for you. The Martha Stewart from Hell segment of our show has been brought to you by Curtis. Hail! Hail him! <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we have to leave it there for now.
Mm-hmm. Because now we have to back up and join poor Atticus on his adventure through the day. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, involves he starts looking for D but can't find her. And and so he ends up calling on Christina. And they meet at this crypt. And they have this conversation where he's like, look, I want to learn a, I want to learn that in, invulnerability spell. And she's like, ugh, this again with the invulnerability. Invulnerability didn't save my dad. He thought it was going to, and it didn't. But she kind of gives him some pointers on how to do it. Uh, or so we think. Uh, and so he goes. Oh, uh, but she does it for a price. Oh, right. What was the price? Bargaining, he bargains with for, with the for the key to oh, right. to yeah. the time machine. Oh, that's right. And she's like, eh, "So what if it's broke?" And also, like, states away. It's in it's in Kansas. Yeah, just no, ain't nobody mentioned it's still in that observatory in Kansas, just over the border, <laughs> just west of St. Joseph, Missouri. If anybody's looking, but you know, Christina, Christina can get there on her own time. She has what she needs, and if that means that that Atticus doesn't, you know, die in the meantime, okay, that's fine. Right, but I love the I love the double cross that she does because she doesn't give him the invulnerability spell. She gives the invulnerability spell to Letty. And she gives him another spell. A protection spell of sorts. Another protection spell of sorts. And we'll get to that later. But I just like that she... It's kind of funny when they're they're doing the spell and nothing happens. And they just kind of shrug and walk off. Yeah. So funny. Well, well, because then Atticus goes, tries to go home. And and who is there but what's-her-name from Korea? Oh, God, yeah, she shows up. What was the name, Tim? Her name is Jaya. Jaya, yeah. that is correct. Yeah. He he goes back there and, and discovers that uh, Letty has a guest. And it's Jaya. And so they all sit very uncomfortably in the living room, or in the dining room, as, as Jaya explains to everyone what she is. I'm a nine-tailed fox demon. Thanks for letting me in. And, and I love it where she goes... And when I have sex and my partner climaxes, I have these things, and everybody's like, "No, mm. <laughs> we don't. Far enough. Nobody, Far nobody enough. wants to know anymore." <laughs> she tells Atticus that she saw his death coming, but not in enough detail to help him avoid it. So, welcome to the states. Thank, thank you for you know dropping that on us and and causing trauma in this relationship. And I feel incredibly sorry for her. There's something about this character. She is she's a monster who has emotions and she loves Atticus and she's being rejected. She's been rejected she was rejected in Korea. She's being rejected here. All she's trying to do is help. She's right. just trying to warn him and she clearly still loves him. And she is in no way a villain in this story. Mm-hmm. And she ends up basically, you know, and and because of who she is to Atticus in the past and what she is, Letty is not going to be welcoming to her in any way, shape, or form. No. And it's just Letty's had enough. This is all before she goes and meets with Christina, by the way. Yeah. She has had enough with the demons, and she has had enough 
She's done with all of this. And so Letty storms out of the house. And this is when she sees D. Mm-hmm. This is when their paths cross. Because D is out in the front. She's about to go in and and she stops Letty and tries to be like, can't you see? Can you see? And, and Letty's like, no, I cannot see. I will see you later. Go inside, have a Coke. Call your uncle. <laughs> Just like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, of course, then Jaya just magically vanishes, which I don't understand. Like, I would have, you know, I, I'm wondering if she is going to have anything to do with what's happening in the next couple of episodes. Because she she's there. She doesn't, she doesn't magically vanish. She's told to get the fuck out. So she does. We just didn't need footage of that, I guess. Right. I, that's a really good question, Dustin. And I think that with two episodes left, I'm concerned that this is where she disappears because there's so many moving pieces right now that I don't know what they can do with her at this point. And again, I think it's a terrible shame because Atticus's last words to her in this, in this episode are what we had wasn't real. Mm -hmm. So, you know, break, break her heart again, Atticus, go ahead. And I completely understand it. I completely get why he's saying the things he's saying. Right. Because he's scared of her. He doesn't want butt tentacle. I think he knows about butt tentacle. Well, most... He does, because it tried to eat him. Yep. So there's reasons for him to be afraid of her. But still, you know, she's she's a victim in this as much as she is a monster. She's also, yeah, right. But, you know, she is the most successful serial killer in history. Mm. Yeah. A hundred souls that she's taken. But she got to a hundred. She stopped. Yeah, she stopped at 99. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like she has to. She's going to get that last one. It's not like she has to kill people. Right. (laughs) So Letty now. It's Letty's turn to meet up with Christina. And she meets Christina. First she goes to a church and has some prayer. And when Christina gets there, she's like, oh, I didn't think that you were... You didn't strike me as religious, which calls back to the fact that I think earlier, I think in like episode two, she said something about not being religious. Well, she also talked about it. uh, About going through the motions of religion. Yeah, that was she she had a conversation with Atticus about how, you know, her mother basically wore the trappings of faith Mm -hmm. and it but without having the the. Emo- the the truth behind it and this sort of colored you know her view so be her being in a church and asking for help you know l- looking you know asking god for help is is a big step for her on, on right. a faith level i absolutely loved that when she was in the church talking to god i love that so much of course it's like of course eventually you're going to have to have a few questions with god about what the shit is happening. (laughs) Well, and it it, it legitimately raises the question, if magic is real, if you can have monsters, if you can have, you know, Korean demons, if you can have, you know, all these things going on, how hard of a stretch is it to believe that there could be a God? Mm -hmm. And if your faith wasn't, if you had no faith before, and you were confronted by this, you've seen the power of evil, You've seen monsters. Doesn't that mean that there should be an opposing force? If God had a face, would you want to see it? 
and and if you see you meant you had to believe in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets and yeah yeah I don't think uh I don't think we should talk about religion no not in real time not in real lifey life no, no well no I mean just I would love to talk religion with you guys but I don't think the you know the yahoo's listening need to know that no. shit well, but but this is an important part of the scene because Christina is talking about how her father wanted to basically become a god mm-hmm. and to be like God, and it did. And, and look where it got him. So I mean, there's this, there's this, you know, he was just a man, and there's this kind of discussion here between what Christina is, in some ways, talking about what she wants. Once again, she doesn't actually care what's going on with Letty. But yeah. it's, a con- it's a convenient way for her to have Letty to say words and then Christina go, uh-huh, yeah, so this is what I'm doing. I'm not saying it outright, but if you listen, it's an interesting thing because, of course, she's got a deal with Letty here, too. Right. And Letty wants to give the negatives of the photos of the pages that they had mm-hmm. to Christina in exchange for putting the invulnerability spell on, on Atticus. And Christina's like, oh, I'll cast the spell, but not for him. I'll cast it for you. And at first, Letty is not into the idea. But she succumbs, and so Christina casts the spell on her, which, of course, you know, that we see the magic actually work and happen because there's a screaming and a burning and then a branding. The Mark of Cain. The Mark of Cain. Which, if you are are someone who knows biblicals, knows that that's... Huh? I was going to ask about that. Um, okay, so Adam and Eve, number number one and number two, Cain, number three, Abel, number four, people okay. on Earth, uh, according to to the invent the evangelical Bible. Okay, um, it's the first murder, right? Right, and so Abel was given the good stuff, like his sacrifices to God were always the best quality, and Abel's or Cain's kind of never were. And so, uh, in jealousy, Cain killed Abel and stole his sacrifice. And, of course, that didn't work for God. And so, Cain was cast out. He was the second cast out. uh, Out of the safe space that they were in after Eden. uh, To have to go wander the world. And he was marked so that people would know that he was this outcast. And all of his, his children also were supposed to carry this mark. And uh, if you know your Beowulf, uh, you know that the people of the Mark of Cain are the people we think of as monsters. The other thing is, is that it's a symbol of protection, just like it is in here. The thing is, is that if you see the Mark of Cain, you're to know that you are not to harm this person because they're protected by God. And that's not necessarily a benefit. Right. The idea being that, you know, this is this is God's person to 
protect or destroy. You as a person don't have the right to do that. Yes. Uh, and it comes back later because uh, when the sheriff, or when the when the captain, police captain realizes that he can't enter and do whatever he wants to Letty in her house, he goes back out on the street and orders his police to fire on her house. And so all of her tenants hit the ground and Letty does it first as well. But after a minute, she like sits up and realizes none of the bullets are hitting her. And we get a couple of really good, cool scenes where it shows the bullet approaching her and then stopping or like pinging into nothing or, you know, so that was really cool. Yes. Pew, pew. And so she decides she's going to go outside and, and deal with some shit. And just about that time, Atticus shows up, which means now we have to go back in time again and talk about Atticus's story. Uh, I love how this is going. <laughs> right. So where do we see him first? Did we not? I thought we did. His, we did. Okay. We did a little bit of his. We did have to tell Christina, but then he goes and he goes looking for his father. And okay. So last week was, was it that yeah. long short ago? Last week, we talked about the fact that with everything that Montrose has revealed, everything that Atticus now knows about his father, the, we, my concern was that we would either rush through this or we wouldn't resolve it. And here, I think they thread the needle because it comes down to it's not resolved, yeah. but there are other pressing issues. Therefore, they will say a few pointed things like, did my mother know? You know, that, that's important. Did you cheat on my mother? Um, you know, these are, these are important questions. But beyond that, the, nothing is actually resolved. They are not in a better place, but they don't have time for that right now. There's other shit that's more important to deal right. with than their own family dynamic. And if you're, gonna, if you're going to thread the needle like that, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I think it works. Right. And and I liked that it wasn't like our problem is not resolved, but we need to have a, a, a conversation, a more serious this this warrants a more serious conversation after we have saved the world or ourselves from yeah. we gotta live so that we choice. can have this argument later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Montrose agrees to help Atticus. Uh, with the spell. So they go back to Montrose's place and they do the spell and they're like, nothing happens. And you like, feel anything? Nope. You? Nope. Nope. And they're just oh, like, and there's oh, a really f- poop on a hat. There's a really funny line in there where Montrose is struggling with the incantation and Atticus is like, what's wrong? And he goes, I'm dyslexic, boy. And he goes, since when? He goes, all my life. He goes, are there any other secrets you're keeping from me? <laughs> and, and that's when we get a little moment of where, where Montrose kind of is like, er, because I I mean, it's also been implied that George was uh, was maybe Atticus's real father. Mm-hmm. It's minor, minorly implied. So anyway. Um, oh, wait. There's also an important bit here because Atticus is a book. Oh right! Oh, he, before we go into the book, I, I have some 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 gay facts for you. Are you ready for gay facts? Time sure. for gay facts 
on Zompocalypse Now. Uh, gay fact uh, number one. If you are a younger brother, you are uh, more likely to end up being gay or bisexual. Uh, because, and the more brothers that you have in line ahead of you, the more older brothers you have, uh, the more likely you are to be gay. That's fact number one. Left-handed men, men specifically, are more likely to be gay than right-handed men. Interesting. Dyslexia affects gay people, queer the queer umbrella of people. Dyslexia affects them 20% more than uh, heterosexual people. This is the first installment of gay facts but those are all true those are all true gay factoids uh that you can take to the gay bank and they will give you 10 percent off of the opening of any credit or savings account checking does not apply maybe next week i'll do cowboy facts Ooh, there we go good to know all right so, yes, so the book that Atticus has been carrying around since he came back to the portal is, interestingly enough, a book called Lovecraft Country. <laughs> interestingly enough, it's kind of the story of what's happening to them with some changes, including D being a boy, like the character is in the novel Lovecraft Country, which the TV show is based on, um, and some other things where the, some of the differences between the book and the TV show are in the book that Atticus has to, uh, to the interesting part to that though, is that some of the difference, some of the things he talks about aren't in the Lovecraft country book that the TV show is based on. So it's yet another version of Lovecraft country. Yeah. Can you give also, us some specific examples, Timothy? Uh, well, first of all, the author, Oh, the author is the son of Atticus. Because where he went, when he went through the portal, uh, Hippolyta went and became an extra-dimensional being. Uh, all Atticus did was go to the dumb future for five seconds. Yeah, no kidding. So, so you know, they, pick up a paperback. Yeah, but there's a couple. There's a couple other differences that are minor. We'll get again when when we finish all this up. We'll talk about some of the differences in in the shows, the show from the book, and and I wonder if he got that at the uh, the uh, the portal duty free store. We didn't, I don't believe we saw this happen, but the way he describes it is that he showed up in the future, a woman in a cloak and a metal arm shoved the book into his hand and he went back to the past. Right. And I don't think we saw that in that episode. I've nope. heard, I've heard that customer service in the portal uh, duty free store is lacking. So they do the spell. It doesn't work. Atticus so, is like, uh, I'm, I got to go talk to Letty. Because we've all just had the worst day. This, this has not day. been a great. This has not been a great day for Team Lovecraft. You know, it's so lucky that none of them like are working or have jobs or anything because they'd have. Letty to... runs a boarding house, Curtis. Well, that's true. That's true. But you know, if Atticus had to go to the go, if he had to go to work on cars eight hours a day and still have to deal with all this shit, that'd be the worst. Uh, yeah, so he heads back to the house, and as he's getting closer, he, he hears, what, is that gunfire? Why, yes. Yes, it is. And uh, he runs to the house, and 
it's an all-out siege. Yeah. He no, I, those, those aren't called sieges. Those are called massacres. Tim. Well, it's it's a it's a siege that's becoming a massacre. He just pops around the corner because <laughs> he hears gunshots a couple blocks away, and he and and he's just confronted with like two dozen cop cars, and everybody's got their guns out. Oh, and, right. and then they start start turning them on him. Yep. Oh man, which is super scary. They say, "Put your hands up." So he does, and then one guy shoots a bullet. And, and meanwhile, Letty is running time. towards him because she's invulnerable. Uh, so she's running towards him, and uh, and the bullet comes, and the ground in front before the bullet hits Atticus, the ground in front of him erupts. And one of those giant eyeball creatures comes popping out. It's a Shoggoth to the rescue. Shoggoth. And so it just dispatches the cops. Just, <laughs> just eats them alive. And Letty and, and Atticus like get together and like protect, try to protect each other from all of the flying cop shrapnels. There's a cop, they're running, trying to huddle, and there's a cop flies over their head about 40 feet in the air and just goes, (laughs) It's unintentionally funny. I would put this scene up against any of the dragon attacks in Game of Thrones because for just the epic grandness of the brutality of it is just wonderful. Right. Well, And And we get to see the, the police chief get dispatched real good. Well, he gets an arm ripped off. We don't see him die. And considering what he, his power that we've already established, and we still don't know, we, we saw that part of his, when we saw his chest a few episodes ago, how it was a mixture of white and, and, and brown skin. We still don't know what this guy can and cannot do. But it's, can't, getting your arm ripped off is not going to be a good thing. I and it looked the like the thing was, was like digging into, his, digging into him. Like. Yeah, I, just, I don't think he's dead. I don't think I think he's he he'll he'll be back. It looked to me like the arm was the only thing that was actually left. But who knows? Yeah, we'll so see. um so Atticus and Letty tried to run back towards the house, but the big eyeball creature is not gonna let that happen. And so it goes towards him and Atticus wraps Letty in one arm and reaches the other arm out as a kind of like no. And it like stops and puts its greasy eyeball head all up against his skin, like dad. <laughs> it was so adorable, like a big dog. <laughs> if that's their pet now, <laughs> I'm. I just love it. I love it. I thought the idea of Ant Man having a giant ant in his house that could do the chores was neat. Yeah, this is way better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know I, I, i'm just thinking god it's got to be really expensive to feed that thing on a regular basis Nah, i just park it in front of the cop shop <laughs> yeah you got to get the racists to line up <laughs> yeah so that's and that's the end of the episode that's where we're left we're left with a shoggoth on the front lawn a bunch of dead cops um, D, lots of magic stuff happening. Lots of magic. Lots of bad things happening to D. Christina has her plans, and they are. Pres- oh no, we forgot Christina. So Christina is. 
she's doing her own thing and she has given herself the mark of Cain and she has herself ritually murdered by two guys who, and it's, it's reproducing the way that Emmett Till is killed. It was murdered. Didn't, didn't she get the original two guys to do it? I don't, I don't, no, no, these are just, these are just two, these are just two people that willing to take the money to murder her. But we actually get to watch her get murdered. And it's brutal and horrific. And this is what happened to Emmett Till. And that's the point. I think there's two things happening here. One, we get to see Christina, the length Christina will go to accomplish her own goal, what she'll be willing to put herself through. But I think it's also the way for this show to show us what happened to Emmett Till. And, and there's a why, too. The, the why is um, her girlfriend... What's it, Rose? Ruby. Ruby. God damn, I'm, I'm as bad as everybody. I'm sorry. Uh, Ruby uh, uh, says, you know, do you care about that this happened? And she says no. And I think that the, her choosing to be killed this way is an attempt to try to understand why Ruby was upset. You know, I don't know if that's true, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> I think that one of the things we have not been able to get a firm hand on in this show, and it's intentional, is what Christina really feels about any given thing. All I'm saying is I think that this particular scene in the way in the way that she decides to get murdered, just that aspect, is an indication that she does have feelings for Ruby. Hmm. Interesting. I think I, I like I said, it, it's entirely possible because we have there is a there is an opaqueness deliberately to Christina's inner motivations and inner feelings. It's a mask she wears. It's an attitude she carries. She is helpful in all the right ways and all the wrong ways in this show. Well, she's she has right. not, she has done nothing specifically to injure our main characters. She has given them in one way or another, everything they've asked for. And that is such a trap. <laughs> yeah. We're We're all waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think shoes have been dropping all over the place. <laughs> Those shoes were deep. We're knee deep in shoes. This is actually a close up of some shoes in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> just I mean she's she's got her own agenda, and the rest of the world is just operating in it. And she's the hero of her own story. I think there's a small part of her though that just wants to understand. That would be a lovely thought. I'm. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. Well, I she's would, only I got. Would. She's got two more episodes to convince us one way or the other. And I will say to show us her epic harp playing skills. <laughs> I will say this: a, I will be now disappointed if we don't get a harp, dramatic harp scene in the finale. And <laughs> b, one here's another difference between the book and this. There is no moment. You're not going. You don't get any moments like her death and resurrection scene 
in the book. None of the rest of the cast are around for this to happen, to see this happen. It's, it's a Christina POV. Yep. And we don't get a lot of those in this show. Nope. So that's, there's a lot going on here that I'm obviously is going to unfold in the next two, two episodes. Good episode. Very good episode. Very disturbing. Yeah. Very creepy. Very well done. It's an adventure. And very soon we're going to be back to our original uh, recipe. Uh, the last episode of the last season of uh, The Walking Dead has finally come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have not discussed that yet. Plus, uh, A World Beyond is out. And we haven't discussed that. And tonight, at the night we are recording this, Fear the Walking Dead season premiere was tonight. And we, uh, I didn't watch it, and we haven't talked about that yet. So we well, got a lot of stuff. Happening. Well, here's my idea. We should all take a day off of work and start sometime around lunchtime and just burn through these episodes. <laughs> I have a massive I, pile of editing to do that will probably just make us depressed. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest. I don't uh, do it. I, I'm talent. I can think we can get in the uh, through the season finale of The Walking Dead in about ten minutes because not a lot happens actually in that episode. That's true. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. There are a lot of, a lot of things. things. There are things that go on, but we can talk about that more because I was disappointed with it. But anyway, we'll get we'll get to that in the coming days. We are going to finish. Lovecraft Country first, and then we'll play catch up with the Walking Dead universe. And we hope that you will join us when we do that as well. As always, you can tell us what you think about the show. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on podcast.com and Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a comment. You can leave us a rating. Those would be great. You can talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to exchange in conversations. We love talking. Call, about call Curtis. Curtis. Curtis came out his phone number. Um, yeah, um, nobody's called me as of this uh, taping, but I'm on, uh, I look yeah. forward to hearing from somebody. There you go. I'm I'm at the Night Dusto on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, please contact me too. Tell us, tell us, tell us that we're wrong. Tell us that you love us. Tell us that you know. Tell me, tell me what you think of my Masters of the Universe art I've been putting out there. there because you go. I've been feeling really fun about that. I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it, too. I'm going to click like more often on your stuff. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. All right, folks. So we hope that you will like and subscribe and share and all those fun things and get in touch with us because that would be great. As always, thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, folks, for listening. We'll do this again on our next episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.